hey everybody, this is Pat Abendroth and I'm with Mike Grimes and welcome to another edition of The Pactum. I think this is episode 20. This is episode number 20. Seems like we just started. No, it doesn't. You're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like I'm losing my hair and it's turning gray because of The Pactum. No, we're having a great time and I'm certainly thankful for our Pactum world, our Pactum family. So thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah. We really appreciate being able to have some hopefully edifying influences in your life. Mike, somebody reached out to me and they said they want to know more about Mike. We want to know more about the Mike. Oh, more about the Mike behind the Mike. The Mike behind the Mike. So Mike Grimes, word association, you can only answer with one word. Oh, um, man. Here we go. Scary. Let's just do a few of these. Let's start with summer. Hot. Casey's. Pizza. <laughs> Van. I want to say till, but that can't be right. <laughs> I thought you were either going to say Morrison <laughs> or Mini. Mini, yeah. Kansas. We bought a minivan this week. You did? Yeah. Oh, it's, I, it's a whole terrible thing. Anyway, go ahead. All right. So, Because <laughs> you're going on vacation, right? Yeah, you are. So everybody's going to rob your house now that I told you you're on vacation. Yeah. Van Till. Van Till. I was not expecting that. I how wasn't about, either. How about Kansas? Jayhawks. Figured that. Steven. Curtis Chapman. Is there any <laughs> other word association? <laughs> Figured that. Uh, how about Jack White? My wife served him coffee. That's, that's, oh, crud. That's too many words. Coffee. There you go. All yeah. right. I think we're going to say tipper because I know through your wife yes. that when she was a barista, yep. Jack White was a good tipper. He was a fantastic tipper. My wife worked at a Starbucks in Nashville, Tennessee when we lived there. And not all the famous people that went through there are good tippers. Do you know any Jack that are White. bad tippers that we could you know, I we don't know. Name? I don't know we, for we sure. Wanted... She never said. Okay. Good. But he was a great tipper. He was a super nice guy. Speaking of Starbucks, that makes me think of food, Pat, because I don't think we've talked about food for a while. We talk about coffee a lot. I'm drinking some kind of Cuban coffee today that's not too good, but oh. I shouldn't always talk about coffee. Yeah. So talk about food. Tell me, what's, the, what's something you've eaten recently that was maybe interesting? Have you had anything interesting to eat? We're recording this in the middle of the afternoon, and uh, for breakfast today, I had protein pizza. Protein? <laughs> Are you? Is that I'm not kidding. I woke up, I was starving this morning and I thought, I want pizza. So at like 10 a.m. or 9.30 this morning, I put in a protein pizza. I forgot the name of the brand, but it's some kind of, they make, they make like um, faux Dorito chips, but they're protein, high in protein. They cost like $7 a bag or something really stupid, but they make pizza and it was okay. I sliced some fresh tomato and put it on top and tried to pretend like it was better than it was <laughs> 700 calories for a whole pizza I, might be all i eat today but there you go whole is pizza. what it is speaking of food i'm just looking for an opportunity to tell somebody this and i know our listeners are dying to hear about these things because they want to know more of about course Mike, because right? this is a theological podcast right. tell me what you just bought we just bought a quarter beef which a means we got quarter a quarter of beef. a cow a quarter from, pounder no 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 a quarter of a cow that i don't know how this all works but at a meat locker they have cows that cow. they process and you buy it what was its name um, well, the name that it was named in the special was Casey Jones from the Ninja Turtles. Uh, you're, you're not kidding. I'm not kidding. So they sell they, this meat locker we bought it from in South Central Iowa, out in the sticks. They do these specials, and they name them after themes. And this was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle theme, and we bought Casey Jones. Oh, it was a quarter no. of a cow. But here's the fascinating thing. So I went to pick it up, small town Iowa, okay? If you're in small but town— But you repeat yourself. Yes. Where would you go to get an ice cream cone in small town Iowa? I'd go to Lamar's. Lamar's. Well, yes. Ice cream capital of the world, I think. That would be a great place to go. Okay. However, the meat locker. I kid you not, when I went to pick up our quarter of beef, they serve ice cream in the lobby. Oh, seriously? 
the weirdest thing. So you walk into a meat locker. So they milk the cow, then they execute the cow, and, and then, then they, they yes. sell the cow and yep. name it after Teenage Mutant That's Ninja it. Turtles. That's it. What a weird... <laughs> you, you live a celebrity's life. I tell you. I can't believe you. I was going to say you live high on the hog, uh, <laughs> but that doesn't really work. So we should move on should at this move point in time because we're both dads and we use dad humor. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about Bible study tools, things like commentaries, because as pastors we get asked so often... Thankfully, we get asked so often, Pastor, should I buy this set of commentaries? Or I want to study Daniel. What's a good commentary? Yeah. What's mm-hmm. a good resource? So it comes up again and again and again. And so I thought it would be good for us to talk about Bible study tools on the Pactum. So instead of giving answers, we can just tell people episode 20. Yes. Listen to episode 20. I did hear this week, Mike, that most podcasts die after seven episodes. Serious. Uh, number of completion, I guess. I, I'm hey. not really sure what it is, but I did hear that. Don't know if it's true or not. It might be apocalypse. It might be pseudopigraphal, um, or it might be true. So I think what we're going to do is talk about some pointers that could be helpful if you're wanting to study a book of the Bible. If you're wanting to dig in, maybe lead a discussion group, small Bible study, personal edification. Maybe you're going to go teach the Bible at a nursing home Mm -hmm. or... Uh, preach a sermon if you're a pastor. It's, this is not geared toward pastors, but we love it when pastors listen. Uh, and hopefully this can be a good tool maybe for you to use with people that you want to help. Sound good? Yeah, sounds like a great idea. Should be helpful for people, I hope. Okay, pointer number one should be pretty obvious, and that would be if you want to study the Bible, study the Bible. <laughs> so en- engage the actual text of the Bible, sort right. of like going to a Bible study when they're studying something other than the Bible. Kind of, kind of doesn't make sense. But if you want to study the Bible, just engage the text. Uh, there's nothing more satisfying, nothing I value more in my life when it comes to uh, Scripture than actually just reading the text. Now, you know, when you say engage the text, one of the things I think about is, well, I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. How can I engage the text? Well, I think we have great English translations, and so engage the text in the English translation. I had to pay a lot of money to take Greek classes and things like that, and I'm thankful, don't get me wrong, but to this day, I still love just reading a good English translation, interacting with it, engaging it, and I have right here, I know you have these as well, Mike, yeah. but these ESV, I don't know what they call them, actually, these journals. So it is the Scripture Journal. I have the English Standard Version Scripture Journal. Yeah. They have them on every book of the Bible. You can buy them in the set. Yep. You can buy them individually. So I have Second Corinthians in front of me, and it uh, it looks like a work of art yeah. or a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> so all different colored, you know, pens, just circling words, seeing repeated words, seeing making connections in my own mind or from the text itself. I really, really love those. We actually even use them here at the church as far as. When I started preaching through Matthew, yep. a lot of people bought them so that they could make observations during the sermons. Yeah, uh, super helpful. I love those things. And even before they existed, I would like to just print off the English text with like double spacing mm. uh, on a printer yeah. just to be able to draw and make connections. Yeah. So I, I think that's maybe, if I could only have one tool to use, I think that might be my very favorite tool of all. So what kind of connections are we looking for? What kind of things are we observing? Tell us a little bit more about when you engage the text at first, when you're preparing to preach or teach or look through a passage. I'm looking for repeated words. I'm looking for 
connections that come at the beginning of the book, at the end of the book. I guess I'm, I'm looking for interesting things, making observations. You and I were talking before we started about making observations, and you can make a whole lot of observations. You can. I yeah. think when I took a hermeneutics class in seminary, we had to make 100 observations, as I recall, from Ephesians 5.18. Wow. And it seems like you can't do it at first. You come up with five, mm-hmm. and before you know it, you can come up with 100. Yeah. Not that you need to do it that way, but... There's nothing that can replace, in my opinion, just time and silence uh, with a good text and a good highlighter or yeah. a pen. Just engage. I keep using the word engaging, but just interacting, observing, writing questions in the margin, mm-hmm. questions that you want to answer later, really is really super helpful. Yeah, something I've found helpful uh, since starting preaching at the church is. When I'm when I've got a text I'm going to preach on is just reading, even if it's a shorter book, the whole book repeatedly over and over and over and over again, not with really any agenda or task that I have in mind, but just to read it, to get it in my mind, to be chewing on it, to be thinking on it, and then reading through that specific text and seeing those connections. Maybe like you mentioned at the beginning of the book, there's this is talked about, and then in your text, oh, it's referencing that, and it starts to kind of bring things to light and help you understand a little bit. So It's, it's, almost, it's almost like it's a different book, yes. right? After you read it oh, 10 times or 20 times or whatever it is. It's unreal, the things you can just see that you haven't seen before, the connections you start to draw, it's amazing. And I think if you're going to teach, I think it helps to kind of bring some passion uh, from your te- into your teaching because you've made these observations mm-hmm. and discoveries, yeah. and you're excited about them, and so it carries over into being excited to tell other people about them. Yep. And oftentimes, I think if you're excited, then people are going to be excited. Yep, I think so. So... So let's talk about, let's let's move on and talk about another good pointer in helping people to study their Bibles or to prepare to lead a Bible study or something like that. And let's talk about reading the Bible with the church. Yeah. We like to talk in those terms. Uh, what do we mean when we say you need to read the Bible with the church? When we read the Bible with the church, we're talking about uh, confessions and reading the Bible alongside the church and what people have agreed that the Bible means by what it says for years and years and years. Uh, we're not the first Christians. We're not the first people to have the Holy Spirit. And with that in mind, it's important to read the Bible with the church. It would behoove us <laughs> to read the Bible if, with the church. If you didn't say it, I was going to say it. So <laughs> and it, if you don't get that reference, you haven't listened to episode We have an episode one. one. It was episode one yep. on biblicism. So we don't want to be biblicists. <laughs> right. Um, we actually want to be careful about what we're concluding about what the Bible means by what it says. Right. And historic confessions are helpful, so we would recommend that you become familiar with what other Christians have concluded before you. Yeah. So not that those are inspired, they're not, they're right. not on par with Scripture, they're no. under its authority, but let's give the Holy Spirit some credit for working before we arrived, right. yeah. and we, we, can, we can avoid stepping in it, as we've said before, yeah. and drawing some good conclusions. It's so easy to draw improper conclusions because we can't read all of the Bible all at once with right. a perfect memory. And so other thoughtful Christians have gone before us. Yeah. It's something I've done before when you're reading through a passage and you have uh, kind of this idea that you're starting to see in the passage and you want to say, you know, is that crazy? You want to check the confession maybe and see what Christians have agreed that the Bible means by what it says before and make sure this is not some new novel idea we're coming up with that's uh, not a good idea. Did Jesus become the Son when he was incarnate? Uh, questions like that yeah. are covered by confessions. Yes. And so given certain text out of context from the whole, you might draw really bad conclusions. Yeah. Another good pointer would be to utilize something like the Reformation Study Bible. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I, 
I'm more and more impressed with the helpfulness that I find in the Reformation Study Bible. And I have one open here in front of me, and I look at the contributors. It's a long list of heavy hitters as far as contributing, helping. I think it gives the Reformation Study Bible a good... Well, in a good sense, there's a, there's a Catholicity about it, yeah. uh, and I don't mean Roman Catholic, right. but I mean universal. Yeah. So it's, it's not just one author giving his view on all of these things. Uh, there's quite a diversity of experts in their diff- different fields, mm-hmm. and so I think the Reformation Study Bible is really helpful. Yeah, by far my, my favorite study Bible that I've used over the years, absolutely. It's got great stuff in it, great articles in the back, so we plug it quite a bit around here. I would utilize it because it's going to give you some help. It'll give you a good introduction to each book of the Bible. It'll give you some good notes. It doesn't always answer all of my questions, but every week I read it before I preach just to to see what it has to say, Um, and I I, I can't recommend it enough to people. So, Pat, as we're talking about the Reformation Study Bible, uh, it is super helpful. You've got a lot of notes in there that go along with the text, but some people might want a little bit more, dive a little bit deeper, a little more help on the text they're looking at. Uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about commentaries and uh, how we can use commentaries and what commentaries are available. How do we find them? Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's do that. And I have certainly spent a small fortune on commentaries and I'm <laughs> thankful for commentaries. But before we do that, maybe push pause just for a moment. First, I want to talk about what we might call the law gospel paradigm, which we talked about in episode three. Yeah. I recommend it. But we need to be clear that God commands things and requires things. So we would refer to that by shorthand or label as law, and God also graciously provides, we would call that gospel. Mm -hmm. So the gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done for us because God graciously provided atonement. God graciously provides a substitute savior, gospel. Uh, Law is what we've broken, God's requirements to love him and to love neighbor. And so we can't be confused about those things because if we are confused about those things, uh, then commentaries can just add insult to injury. Because sometimes commentaries don't have that straight. Sure, yeah. So let's think of an example of where we would need to be clear in our minds regarding law and gospel and the law gospel paradigm. Okay, I've got a passage in mind, which I'm just going to say you asked earlier, word association, Stephen, and I said Curtis Chapman. Yes. And then when you asked this, I think, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman has a song because. He has a song for everything. Everything that's important. He's easily the best songwriter to have ever graced the planet. It's just. They want to know about Mike. I'm telling you, just listen to every Stephen Curtis Chapman album. Bam. Anyway, so law gospel example. What am I going to tell people to listen to? I well, the Ramones, a lot of interesting or stuff, or something like that. Big Audio Dynamite and the Clash. <laughs> Never heard of any of it. Uh, Micah six eight. Okay. Law gospel. Help us on that one. Something like that. What does Micah six eight say? It's a, it's a famous. It's a, it's on a lot of plaques. I think. Yep. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. A great example of a great text saying greatly true things, Yes, but that's law. It is law. It's good, but it's law and something we fail to do perfectly. Thus, we need a substitute savior so we're not held accountable for our own violations of God's law. So what would be a misunderstanding of that? Would that be to have that text and you read it and you think that means, well, I better get to work in doing those things. So that, that, that's exactly right. So if I'm going to preach that or even study that for my own personal benefit and treat that as if it's good news to me, Pat, Mm -hmm. a sinner, 
uh, I'm going to be super confused. And if I then teach, I'm going to be super confusing. Yeah. So God tells us what's good and right. Uh, but we know as Christians, we don't perfectly do what's good and right. Yeah. And so we, we ultimately have to look to someone else who's good and right yeah. uh, to do so on our behalf. Right. So on, there's only one person who's ever done Micah 6, 8. Yeah. And his name is Jesus. And that's why we as Christians are thankful uh, for Christ. Yeah. But now that we are united to Christ by faith, which is what Christianity is all about, then now from a new status, now that we're safe and God doesn't hold our, our violations of that commandment against us, we do want to do that, though yeah. we'll do it imperfectly. It yeah. is our good guide. But now we're in a different status before God. Yeah. So when you're studying the Bible, you, you have to have this straight in your mind. Now, I can prove it to you from the Bible. Uh, but at this point in time, I'm just asking when you're studying the Bible, a good pointer is remember the law gospel paradigm. Uh, remember this Protestant paradigm, this biblical paradigm. Otherwise you're going to be both confused and perhaps confusing. Yeah. And that leads us into a conversation about commentaries. Yes, absolutely. Because commentaries, because I think in part, because they're looking at the the trees uh, and not the forest so much. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's one reason why they get gospel sometimes. Yeah, yep. uh, they don't get the law gospel thing and they, they become confusing sometimes. And so just don't, don't turn your brain off when you're reading commentaries. Right. Yeah. Keep the law gospel paradigm in your mind. Yes. And then what I would suggest is that if you need to go deeper, you need a commentary to go into all the details, then pick the best exegetical commentary what, you can pick. What's an exegetical commentary? So it means interpretation, <laughs> basically. So three kinds of commentaries. One would be devotional, very light, very easy to read, uh, soft on the ears, easy on the mm. eyes. And, and it makes you go, mm. So devotional commentaries, expositional commentaries. So exposition, now you're explaining the text and you're, it's, it, it would read like a sermon. And those are fine and good. They have their place. Exegetical is going to be lean, interpretive, dealing with original languages, syntax, grammar, those kinds of things. So if you want to go deeper, that's what I recommend. So if I had one, if I have one, if I have the best exegetical commentary, I don't need the 15 other ones. Right. I used to read all of them. Yeah. And the reality is if it's a newer commentary, that's a good exegetical commentary, that author is going to take into account those who've gone before them. Yes. Yeah. And they're going to... Where where it's relevant, they'll mention it nine times out of ten, in my opinion. I have a worn-out copy of Leon Morris's uh, Gospel According to Matthew, because I'm preaching through Matthew. And if I had this, I wouldn't need any other exegetical commentary. Mm. There are some other really good ones, uh, but if I had one really good one, I, I'm okay. So you don't need to buy all of them. I would just pick a really good one. And so the, the question comes... How do I know which one to buy? Because there are a gazillion. You have to ask me because I have this super special knowledge. That's exactly the, what the, I do. Epigenosis. <laughs> Pat, which one do I get? And he tells me. There's Perfect. a couple. There, there are a couple of good resources that can help you. One would be at the Legionnaire website. Yeah. So if you go to the Legionnaire website and they've got a list of five five of, in their opinion, best commentaries on every book of the Bible. Yes. Keith Matheson uh, has done that, and it's a great service. He gives a little bit of explanation as to why. Yeah. And so I go there again and again as far as recommending people, uh, recommending commentaries to people. Mm -hmm. So we can put that in the show notes. And there's another uh, helpful book, in my opinion, and it was written by a seminary professor of mine, uh, Jim Roskup, who's in heaven now. But he wrote a book called Commentaries for Biblical Expositors. 
And it's a real gem because yeah. over a thousand commentaries he interacts with. I asked him one time if he reads all of them, mm-hmm. and I was kind of being a smart mouth about it, thinking surely he doesn't. Right. Uh, very, he was a very humble man, and uh, he said, well, Pat, you know, I don't know how I could have integrity and in criticizing these people's life works if I hadn't read the entire thing. Pray for my eyes. Oh, wow. So I felt like a total loser because <laughs> I was just trying to be funny and he was being serious. Yeah. So even if um, you don't agree with all of his approaches to things, he'll give you enough. Even, even if you're not in agreement with where, with where he's coming from theologically, he is going to do an earnest job, I think, in trying to provide some good comments on commentaries. And it can save you a lot of money and a lot of time. Yeah. So first, the Legionnaire site, if you're going to go a little bit deeper, uh, maybe you'll want to consult that book by Jim Roscoe. Yep. And we'll put those links in the show notes. Uh, for you so you can find those. And we're talking about commentaries. It makes me think a little bit, if I want to be someone who's uh, a confessional Christian, who's tied to uh, things that the church has taught and believed for many, like, many years. Like Protestant Reformation. Yes. Uh, don't I need to read the original sources and the old dead guys, you know, Calvin and Luther and only those guys? Aren't they the, the sole authority on these things? Do I need to read their works only? I certainly don't think so. I, I, I like to read me some Calvin and read me some Luther. <laughs> They're refreshing because they're not dealing with, um, for example, like theological liberalism so mm-hmm. much, uh, as later commentaries have to, to answer objections because they're pre-enlightenment. Yeah. But I think generally speaking, I, I like to read Calvin, but generally speaking, where he has great insight, well, Leon Morris is going to pay attention to it, yeah, yeah. or D.A. Carson's going to pay attention to it, or George Knight pays attention to it. So I, I find it refreshing to read some of those individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Luther on Galatians, because it's, because it's a classic, yeah. but he's not going to be the best, best guy when it comes to the exegetical data, because we have others who are standing on their shoulders, yeah. and so they can see a bit further. Yeah. So. Great, go for it. Uh, but just because they're free and online doesn't mean they're the best ones. Mm-hmm. And I only have so much time in life, and so I'm going to pick the best commentary I, I can read uh, and kind of go from there, yeah. generally speaking. So certainly if you're someone leading a Bible study or just for your own personal study, you may not want to uh, spend all that extra time reading all of those sources. We're saying one good exegetical commentary really is going to be your best bet. As long as we have those other things in play, as yes. long as we have yep. those other pointers. Yeah. Next, I think we should talk about uh, the best kind of commentary for applying the Bible to everyday life. Hmm. Uh, so what resources do we use when we're studying the Bible and we're trying to uh, make the Bible apply to everyday life? We're looking for good application. Uh, what should we do when it comes to that matter? I think we should skip that altogether. Let's not try to apply it. That's what we should oh, do. Oh, that might be an overswing, <laughs> but I like your style, Mike. Slow it down. Yeah, I would be super slow to be practical because so many of the things that are taught that are unbiblical and wrongheaded are given in the name of being practical. Yeah. So a lot of reading the Bible is being impressed with God and his mercy and his grace yeah, yeah. and seeing the sinfulness of human beings and seeing our need for a savior. First and foremost, the Bible is about Jesus Christ, not as the example on how to live, uh, even though he lived perfectly, but as to why we should trust in him because he's the trustworthy one. Mm-hmm. The statement I like to make is don't just do something, stand there. Hmm. Yeah. That's good. The reality is so much of what's taught in the Bible is designed to to have us rest, yeah. to rest in Christ. And it's out of our resting that we then find motivation to live for his honor and for his glory. Yeah. 
Generally speaking, when people try really hard to make the Bible applicable and applicable to everyday living, uh, it ends up sound. It, it ends up making the Bible mean something it didn't intend to mean. Right. Yeah. There are so many different kinds of examples of this, but I just heard someone speaking and speaking appropriately and biblically about it, but it's on my mind because they were talking about the dominion mandate. Hmm. So in Genesis 1, you have yeah. the dominion mandate and to rule over. Well, we can, we can apply that, but be careful because that was given to the first Adam. Right. Uh, and he was to have dominion and then to have perfect rest, yeah. uh, and it didn't work out. Yep. So we need... According to Romans 5, we need the second Adam, the last Adam, to have perfect dominion so that we could have rest, those he represents. So, yes, we are to have dominion, but it's, it's to use someone's phraseology, it's, it's refracted. It's different because we're, in a, we're, we're not the first Adam. We're not the representative of the human race. Right. We're not the last Adam either. So how do we have dominion over? Well, maybe we do, but in what sense? Right, yeah. So there's an example of how I'm careful or maybe at least a little bit slow to make everything equally applicable because not all of the Bible was meant to be equally applicable, though it's all applicable in one sense. That's yeah, hard to say. That was, that was a mouthful there. But it does seem that there can be a sense uh, someone's leading a Bible study or they're studying a text and there's this quick drive to, I got to make this apply. I got to make this matter to me. What does this mean for my life? And then you make these jumps to conclusions that aren't there and shouldn't be instead of just being impressed with Christ. Yes, absolutely. And to go back to our Machen series that we did some time ago, Marching marching with Machen, uh, historically, Christians have believed that the Bible's about Jesus. Yeah. And ultimately, it's about him. Yeah. And so, and I think he would agree. <laughs> yeah, he would. So... It's when we didn't think the Bible was true anymore. It's when we, as theological liberals, which we are not, um, mm -hmm. but they decided that they have to do something with the Bible. And so what are, they, what are they going to do if it's not about Christ? It has to be about us. Yep. And so it's timeless truths to live by. And so today when we're so prone to make everything immediately applicable, I think we sound like those who historically haven't believed the Bible is true. Right, yeah. So time and time again, what we want is to be impressed with the greatness of Christ. Yes, we do want to know what we're obligated to do even as believers, mm -hmm. uh, but it is out of a place of rest that we go and do those things that are active. Yeah. So let's be careful uh, about rushing to apply. So many times the application is the same. It's remember Jesus Christ, and I know you'll forget before you put the keys in the car, yeah. uh, and so I'll be back here next week to remind you at church. Right. Same thing with Bible study. Yes, you do want to do everything you, that you do for the glory of God. Uh, that's true and right, but that doesn't mean every Bible passage has to have immediate application in your life. Right, yep. Well, a minute ago when we were talking about this being slow to be practical, you talked about a passage in Genesis, and you kind of saw it in the light of the whole of Scripture, which... Uh, makes us think of another pointer, uh, and that might be biblical theology. Yes, biblical theology would not be as opposed to unbiblical theology. Right. Biblical theology has to do with the storyline. It has to do with the drama, if you will, of redemption that's unfolding. And so how, do, how does any given text in the Bible relate to the whole drama? Right. So some, somehow it's all related. So when I'm studying the Bible, I do want to ask the question, where does this fit in the drama? Right. Uh, are we anticipating the coming of Christ? Are we on the other side of the ascension? Where are we? Because that will have an effect on how we're interpreting things. Right. Yeah. Are, are these the types and shadows designed to point us forward as the book of Hebrews would have us to know? Right. Uh, or, or, or what is it that we're talking about here? Yeah. 
So if Jesus is the ultimate David, the one who comes in the line of David, he's the ultimate king, the ultimate Messiah, but he, but we're talking pre-incarnation, well, how is this pointing us forward? How is this uh, in- anticipating him? Right. And we, we, believe that we believe in biblical theology because we believe that ultimately there's one divine author. Uh, who has a purpose, who has a plan. Uh, Ephesians 1 says it existed before the foundation of the world. It centers upon Christ. And so even before Genesis, there's a plan and a purpose, and it centers on Christ. We've talked about this quite a bit. But I'm going to remember that when I'm studying the Bible mm. and ask myself the question, where is this in the unfolding of the drama? Yeah. There's a really helpful book uh, that is written at what I would call a layperson's level, but I like layperson's level yeah. because sometimes things are too complicated, yep. but it's pretty new. It's called The Unfolding Word. Subtitle is The Story of the Bible from Creation to New Creation by Zach Keel. And I've been reading it lately and I find it tremendously helpful. It's simple in a good sense. And I would commend that to our readers as a good introduction to what I would call biblical theology, how it's all unfolding. I even like it in the title. Yeah. So as you're talking about one divine author, uh, maybe another pointer we could talk a little bit about is that uh, as you're reading a text, as you're studying the Bible, that you need to pay attention to both authors of a text. So for example, when we read the Apostle Paul, his language, his vocabulary is different different from the Apostle Peter's. Yeah. And so we, we can observe that. They, they were coming from different places. They use words differently sometimes in different contexts. So it's perfectly, perfectly fine and actually good to pay attention to the different styles and different emphases. But behind it all would be the ultimate divine author, the one controlling. In light of what Second Peter has to say, ultimately God is behind it. God is ultimately controlling through the personalities, through the different circumstances. And so, yes, I'm going to pay attention to the individual authors, whether it be Moses or John or Paul or Peter or whoever it is, Mm -hmm. and style and genre and those things. But because I'm a Christian, I believe that Mm -hmm. God is behind all of it, guiding and directing. And so I don't want to lose sight of that. And oftentimes what's happened, unfortunately, uh, in even Bible-believing circles like we would run in is an overemphasis on the human author, or maybe we could put it a an underemphasis on divine author. Yes. And so that causes people to say things that I think ought not be said, like, well, you can't read the old in light of the new. Mm. I'm going to read the old in light of the new, and I'm going to read the new in light of the yeah. old. Yep. I'm going to read the whole thing. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to try to pay attention to the details. I am. But the reality is I'm going to read the whole in light of the whole because there's ultimately one divine author. So how does this text complement another text? How do they relate to one another? I most certainly am going to do those things. Mike, earlier on in the episode, you spoke of reading the whole book over and over again in preparation and trying to understand. And I want to pick that back up for a moment or two and think in terms of like right now I'm, I'm preaching through Matthew and Matthew's gospel account. And if I didn't do what you said I should do, uh, Mm -hmm. read the whole, um, I think I would be super confused by the whole thing. And I would be confusing because there are so many small details that if I don't keep the big picture in mind, I'm going to be super confusing. So there are so many good and important things that Jesus says, uh, and I would maybe be confused about law and gospel Hmm. uh, because I would forget that way back in chapter one, verse 21, he's named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Right. And so, or he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. Uh, Chapter three, chapter five. 
I have to keep those things in mind because otherwise I'm going to maybe draw the conclusion that the real problem is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Hmm. And so out of context, I'm going to say, oh, they just need to be less, less hypocritical. Yeah. If they could just stop being hypocrites, uh, Jesus would be happy with them. Mm-hmm. So salvation through integrity, yeah. salvation through not being a hypocrite. But what I have to remember is, oh, big picture. Yeah, the problem is hypocrisy, right. but it's not just the Pharisees. Uh, it's not just the scribes. It's not just the religious leaders. Uh, it's true. No one lives up to the expectations uh, yeah. that they promote. But I could easily just preach a sermon, let's say, against hypocrisy and miss the whole point of the gospel account. Yeah. Uh, yes, preach against hypocrisy and then say, and the reason is so that you'll see your guiltiness because you're a violator of God's law and you'll look to Christ because really the gospel, according to Matthew, is about the gospel according to right, Matthew. Right. It's not about alleviating the world of hypocrisy. Right, yeah. But I, I'm guilty of falling into that trap because I didn't keep the details in light of the whole. Right. So I like it that you emphasize that, and I wanted to circle around to that for a moment. Yeah, I think it's super helpful as you're re- reading any book of the Bible to see that, to see that each book has a major theme and a, a, a direction it's heading, and everything works in line with that. So it's a super helpful way to read your Bible, even to go through and think, what is this book of the Bible about? What's that book of the Bible about? And have that in mind as you're reading it, as you're studying it, as you're preparing to teach it, lead it, whatever it might be. Also relating to this that's super pertinent is the fact that different letters, let's say, of the New Testament were designed to be read in one sitting. Yes. So let's remember when we want to really, really dig in and do, you know, 50 different weeks of study in Colossians. Yeah. Well, that's all fine and good because every word is true, right, yes. but the reality is that was a letter meant to be read, meant to be heard yep. in one sitting. Yep. And so if you're going to spend 52 weeks or however long it yep. is, keep looking at the whole, yes. keep looking at the forest because you could easily, because you're going to study this Greek word and that Greek word, you could easily make it say something entirely different yep. than the apostle Paul or the divine author ever intended. Yes. That's one reason why I am committed to preaching through the Bible slowly at times and also quickly at times yeah. so that we can keep the big picture in mind and understand actual authorial intent, divine and human. Maybe we need to go faster sometimes and not be mistaken by thinking if we just dig into the details, we'll for sure be faithful. Right. Yeah. So earlier, Pat, as we're kind of moving towards the end of our pointers here for Bible study tools for our listeners, uh, we've talked about some resources uh, that our listeners could utilize, the Reformation Study Bible, some commentaries, confessions. Are there any other types of resources that we ought to be looking at when we're studying the Bible that might be helpful to us? There are so many of them, but at least in this episode, we should at least talk a little bit about systematic theologies. Yeah. Systematic theologies are great tools, if they're good systematic theologies anyway, but basically they're arranged according to topic. So what does the Bible teach about Christ? And then, then we can narrow in and focus on his humanity, focus on his deity. We can focus on why, but really it's arranged by topic. So we would have God, theology proper, mm-hmm. uh, Trinity, Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at all of these topics Mm -hmm. and try to figure out what the Bible says about them from Genesis to Revelation and then explain what the Bible means by what it says about them. So they are different from confessions because, because confessions are, don't have one person's name on them. Right. Yep. So, 
but I, I really am thankful for like Burkhoff's systematic theology. It's what I was told to read in seminary, had to read in seminary. I'm really glad that they told me to do that. Yeah. It's still one that I recommend highly. Um, so that's Lewis Burkhoff, systematic theology. Uh, it's going to be a great resource. Now, I don't look at it every week before I preach. It's more of a resource to utilize when it comes to understanding the history of a doctrine and sure, its yep. development and debate surrounding it, opposition back and forth. But they really are important for us if we're going to understand theology. Yeah. So as we wrap up, I just want to say a few things regarding those who prepare to teach. Mm. So lots of us just want to study the Bible better for our own enjoyment, yeah. our own joy, our own edification. But if you are preparing to teach, really focus on simplicity. Mm. Do your very best to make things simple so that when people go home and read the text that you were studying together, they see it more clearly. They yeah. see that it's right there in the text. And simplicity, just like clarity, is not overrated. It's <laughs> underrated. Yeah. So typically, I like to tell budding teachers, people who are going to preach the Bible, teach the Bible, exhort with the Bible, if people tell you that you're over their heads, they're not telling you the truth. Mm. They're being nice. <laughs> um, but what you need to hear them saying, as they say, you were over my head, it's too deep, what they really are saying, just hiddenly, is you weren't clear. Yeah. You weren't simple enough. And so the Bible is profound, it's rich, it's wonderful, but the but what we want to do is be clear. And a lot of times being clear is a matter of being simple. It's not about adding more. So you've got to leave a lot of the things you learn maybe when mm -hmm. you were studying on the cutting room floor. Right. And so leave those things behind, help people to better understand the Bible for what it says. And you'll end up being a much better teacher and much more appreciated over the long haul. Think about those who've been great Bible teachers who've lived over the years. They've been people who can take the profound, deep end of the pool stuff, and they can make it so anyone can appreciate and understand whether they have a PhD yep. uh, or their uh, beauty school dropout. There you go. <laughs> beauty well, as we wrap things up for this episode, we do want to thank you for making it to the end of the episode. And Most people don't make it to the right. end of the and episode. That's right. And if you've made it to the end of the episode, that means you're invested in the Pactum and you like listening to the Pactum, which means we need you. And we need you to submit your questions to the Pactum Responsum. Don't forget about the Pactum Responsum. We mentioned it last week on Special our Special super feature of the Pactum. Yes. So we want you to send an email to us with any question that you have whatsoever, any question at all about doctrine, theology, maybe a previous episode, something you're wondering about. Maybe you want to know more about Stephen Curtis Chapman. I can give you all the insights. Send us your emails. He's at... a troller and a stalker. <laughs> He's been to his house. Just want you to know. Anyway, send us your emails at connect at thepactum.org, and we will be utilizing those in later episodes, maybe even an entire episode with your questions. If so, they're good questions, yes, and they pass the Pactum sniff test. The Pactum sniff test. So send us those questions. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We'll make sure to reference the resources we mentioned in today's episode on the show notes. You can check those resources out. Glad to have you listening. Hope you're encouraged. See you next time on The Pactum. The Pactum.